I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, Kristen Sinatra Walker here, and I am here with our series Be Awesome with Dr. Christina Hallett. Christina, thank you so much for coming on again to do this wonderful new series that everybody is raving about, by the way. Oh, I love hearing that. That's fantastic. What? Haha. Awesome news. And we have a guest that you um, introduced us to and brought on. So if you'll go ahead and do the introductions and kind of give our audience an idea of what we're going to talk about today, that would be awesome. <laughs> See, we're just going to use the word awesome over and over again because you can't go wrong. Exactly. So I am delighted that we have joining us today the awesome Robin Joy Myers. <laughs> and Robin is we just came up with this today, so I'm throwing her right out under the bus because that's what we do on this show. Robin <laughs> is a speaker, an author, and she's a fear strategist. Isn't that intriguing? Oh, okay. I like that. Yes. Robin has written a book, uh, Alone But Not Lonely, which is fabulous, and we'll ask her to talk about that. And I'll just tell you that Robin and I met when we were both speaking in Montreal, and we were speaking at... Uh, an event called One Woman Fearless. And we immediately hit it off. There's all sorts of great stories about liking each other's footwear because, you know, I'm all about <laughs> the boots. What can I tell you? Uh, <laughs> and we formed an immediate friendship. It's similar to how Kristen, you and I connected right away. And so I am delighted to be able to bring Robin on and she can explain to us both what a fear strategist is. And today we're really going to talk about the power of self. Robin, tell us about you. Awesome. That's number six, by <laughs> the way. I just want to let you know that's the sixth time we've used that word, Christina. Fabulous. <laughs> just keep just keeping track. That's all um, about me. So I am Robin Myers and I am a fierce strategist and author and speaker. And it is funny how you and I, Christina, just clicked like immediately, literally across the room from each other. We both were speakers and it was shoes and books. And I don't know, there was just something, the energy was in the air, but 
I live outside of Washington, D.C., and I really work with women on using fear to their advantage and realizing mm. that we all have fears. We all, and fear scientifically is imprinted within us, but how to use it to our advantage and to realize that it's a gift. So how to overcome self-doubt and, and all the, the negative things that we do to ourselves to move forward, really. And um, as women, as the three of us are, we tend to not be our own best friend and our own advocate, which we need mm. to do. But yeah, you know, finding our voice and really being able to move forward. Well, and we know, of course, that this isn't just true for women, although I completely understand why you focus on women. But can you talk a little bit about the science of fear and what that means? Oh, I would love to. <laughs> Christina knows I'm working on this, the big talk. So, um, so the science of fear is actually in, absolutely intriguing. Um, my background is in molecular genetics. So the science in me has come back out. But the science of fear, you know, our brain is made up of like 100 billion nerve cells. And the science behind it is everything is involved. We have the uh, sensory cortex. We've got, you know, which takes all of the, you know, reads everything, I'll say. Takes we in have, information from the environment. Why, thank you. That puts it beautifully. Yes. I appreciate that. We have the um, hypothalamus, the hippocampus. We have all of that. But the, the coolest part is the amygdala. And the amygdala really is responsible for decoding the emotions and determining the threat. But it's also responsible for storing the imprint of your fears. Actually, from when they begin, which has been studied for as early as age seven throughout your life until you die. Mm. So all the hormones, everything. And, and the interesting part is, you know, we use the science of fear is we use it as a survival mechanism, right? The flight or fight. And so our response, even our bodily response, as far as like um, the hairs on our arms standing up, you know, that really is remnants of our ancestors being hairy creatures, being able <laughs> to hide. Which is silly, right. but when you think about it, they were able to hide. We don't, we're not that hairy, so we can hide, but we can decide if we're gonna stay put or we're gonna run. But there is a genetic disorder that prevents people, there's a mutation that prevents people, the disease is called Urbach Wife, from being able to have fear. So these people can actually walk in front of a bus or a train and not even have any kind of sensory to this is a bad thing, a bad idea to do. So fear is really a gift, you know, it's what do you do with it? And I think our society, we, we tend to look at fear to paralyze us. And I, what my goal is, is to have people realize that if you know you have it, you know, decide what imprint you want to keep and what you want to remove but to let fear live, let you live in the moment and to serve you. You know, being fearless doesn't mean that you're going to live without fear. It just means that you're using it to serve you. Yeah, I always, I always look at that term fearless and I think, I don't know that that's a message. 
So in terms of that term fearless, a lot of people use that, you know, be fearless in your life and so on. And that it that to me, that just is does not read or or sound like an accurate um, use of of the term fear, because no one is fearless. We it's I feel like it's setting people up to fail. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid all the time. It's it's like what you're saying, though, how I choose to utilize that fear to motivate me or to keep me stuck is is the challenge. It's not to be free of fear. You, you know what I mean? I totally agree. It, it isn't it isn't being free of fear at all. And um, I think you're right. So many people for many years have been, you know, fearlessness is totally freeing and, and, you know, go fly and live life and all that sort of stuff. But right. it's, it's, it's not, it isn't, it's learning to use it to your advantage. Right. How sort to be like, a tool, a tool right. in your tool. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Do it anyway. Oh yeah. I, lo- I knew you were going right. to say that. I knew you were going to say that. I love it. That's so true though. It's so true. And I think I want to touch on this from both of your perspectives. Let's say you are someone that has had a very traumatized um, background. And so you are full of fears that a lot of people that didn't have your background just don't have or don't have to the degree that you do. Can you become someone who is so, since we're talking about, you know, self today, can Mm -hmm. you become so detached from yourself and your fears that you don't even know how to recognize that you are having a fear? Uh, or that that is fear because you are just so detached from what's going on inside of you, from your core self that you don't, you, you're not even close to understanding what it's about. Go ahead, Robin. I'll answer after you. Okay. I, I actually think, you know, understanding and processing what that trauma might have been, it is an act of choice to take that situation and, and move through that. And move mm-hmm. past it. So I think you absolutely can move through it. Mm-hmm. I really do. I but it it is an absolute choice to make. Now, yes, there's degrees of what has happened to create that fear, right? So and and varying levels. I mean, obviously people have gone through horrific things versus I use an example of like two kids falling off the monkey bars, which you know isn't as horrific as something else. So, but I, I do believe people can move past it, but it is um, a, a choice. I, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember when, so when I was a kid, I was 11 years old, I used to ride horses and my, um, I, I guess I was decent enough. I was in some horse show and I wasn't riding the normal horse that I, I usually rode. I was given the owner's horse and you know, I was in all the beautiful English garb. I looked great. I looked really good. You know, the hat, the crop, everything. But they put me on this horse that I never rode, but it was the owner's horse, best, you know, great jumper. Well, as soon as I took out the crop, this horse was spooked and took off running. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody, nobody told that to me. However, I was 11, um, got terribly thrown, knocked out, bounced around. I broke my back in three places. Wow. So I knew now I understand the fear that my parents had, you know, it was eight months of recovery and probably them wondering if I would walk again and so forth. My daughter, when she turned 10, we lived out in the country 
outside of DC in Virginia, horse country, and was a writer. And um, I remember my father calling me one day, so angry, like really just basically, how could you do this? And I didn't even know what he was referring to. And I was like, dad, what's up? <laughs> and he's like, I can't believe you would be so stupid to even let her do this. And I, you know, first I, I was like, back up because I'm not sure what you're referring to. He, he was referring to how could I let her get on a horse? Hmm, right. And so I said, well, she loves riding. She has all the equipment that she needs. It's not like I'm sending her off, you know, into the sunset with nothing. And what happened to me happened to me. And, you know, hopefully there is no accident. And, and I didn't even, then I was more worried because he brought it up, but it was a choice that I made. So do I carry that imprint forth and impose it on her? Or do I let her make these choices and move forth? So I really think there, there's a point, and, and obviously that was, um, wasn't a, a trauma, too traumatizing of a story for me, but I do think you can move forward. I really do. I do believe that you do have to make that choice. How about you, Christina, with that, you know, that just not even acknowledging, like when you've worked with patients that, you know, I think about it like when I worked a volunteer years ago in a domestic violence shelter and, and there were situations where people um, would do things like touch a hot stove or they wouldn't even be able to, they'd ask always what time it is because they were so used to somebody else telling them what to do, how to be, everything being under control of someone extremely abusive. And our job was to was to say, look at the clock or talk them through, okay, if something is hurting you like this stove or this water is too hot, you need to say this water is too hot. And I think about that in terms of ourself, like we can become so detached from our own pain that, um, you know, we, we don't even recognize when something is a fear in order for us to use it to an advantage instead of to be stuck. Am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I get that. So when Robin talked before about fight or flight, the other mm -hmm. one that we talk about is freeze. And I want to tie that in here because a natural and normal response that people have to fear can be fight, flight, or freeze. Right. So, right, we think about bunnies, deer in the headlights, iguanas, chameleons, there's all sorts of things in our world, including people who freeze. And sometimes that's totally the right thing to do in that experience. And when I think about having significant trauma, sometimes that fear response that can get stuck as freeze and the person can become very, very numb. And as you're saying, yes. Kristen, then get really detached from knowing their own feelings. So it's almost as if, if you think about a turtle inside, and so creating that shell, that deep, deep shell of numbness, where the emotions and the recognition of both bodily sensations and emotional sensations is all tucked up inside that turtle shell. Right. And the other thing that I think can happen is that people can replace awareness of their actual emotions, let's say awareness of fear, with negative self-talk. Yes. And I'm not oh saying that's gosh. to the good, right? I'm not saying yes. that's the constructive thing. But I think fear can get buried under 
all of the things that we say are wrong about ourselves. And so that we're not recognizing it necessarily as a legitimate fear or concern from the outside. What we're seeing instead is we're stuck inside that shell, feeling under threat, feeling frozen, and turning all of that into some kind of personal condemnation. And so I would completely agree with Robin that, yeah, it's absolutely possible to work through fear and have fear work with you. And that's the whole feel the fear and do it anyway. But right. we get there, I think, through working on developing our awareness of how we feel and beginning to bring that back to life. And I want to tie in something that I heard the other day, because I think it's just, I think you guys will be right on board with me. You did an interview, Kristen, two years ago with Dr. Kristen Neff. And in that interview, she talked about mindfulness and she used a different word. She talked about being mindful, aware in the moment as courageous presence. Mm. And mm. I want that in I like listen to my own right. <laughs> And we're going to be talking with her and we are going to talk about courageous presence oh, right I on the Be Awesome show. Because if I think about what Robin's talking about. I just about, got chills, Christina, right, by the way, right down the right? back of my neck. Oh my exactly. gosh. Exactly. Wow. Me too. Because that's wow. what I think that's what Robin is exactly talking about. Yeah, when she says working with your fear and making a choice, she's literally talking about having courageous presence in the moment, awareness of self in this moment, not hiding in the past and not running forward. And then we're just going to tie in Dr. Neff's work because that's part of self-compassion, courageous presence, common humanity and kindness treating yourself the way you would treat someone you care about. And Robin, isn't that exactly what you're talking about, about how we use fear to our advantage? Absolutely, but I love the, that courageous presence. Right, everyone's gonna use this. This is gonna be in our new hashtag, right? Yes. Exactly. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. No, no, oh. you're exactly right. I love that though. And fear strategist, I mean, what I'm getting, you know, the hit that I'm getting off of this now, Robin, with what you do is so amazing with strategizing. It's it's a way what you're telling people by even saying that's what you are is you're empowering the the word fear. You're making it not something to be afraid of, which is fantastic because we are so... Uh, inclined to be afraid of what we were afraid of, obviously, and we're so inclined to like issue those things instead of move towards them um, and 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 walk, you know, walk through them. And so using it uh, in a term like fear strategy is like, well, listen, let's take this stigma off of the word fear and let's not make it, you know, a bad word. Right, right. And, and I think for a while that has always sat with me is that we put such negative connotation on that word. Um, and even as an emotion, it, it, you're fearful or, or something and it's so negative. And it's, when did we ever come up with that negativity towards it? I know, I you know, know, why can't it be inspirational? Why can't we use it to move forward? And why can't we start a movement to change it? Frankly, absolutely. I mean, Let's recognize do what it is, understand the science of it and, and move forward. And that's exactly how reclaiming fear to work to your advantage completely ties into how do you be awesome?
right? How do you live your very best life being a human that is a human just like everybody else and taking part of your common experience and the particularly the things that have been difficult because we don't have any problem with the stuff that's been good or easy. We're like, yeah, that was good. You know, like that. We're not saying, oh, don't ever let a good thing happen again. That'll be terrible. (laughs) But But we struggle with, oh, no, if I've been through something traumatic, if I've done something that's been really, really difficult or didn't go the way I wanted, then we develop often this avoidance or fear of encountering that again. And so this is about, I love it, Robin, reclaiming fear. And the power of self comes through reclaiming fear and you know, being your own best friend, right? Right. Absolutely. Standing in your own empowerment so that you can be awesome. Absolutely. Tell our listeners, Robin, because they, what they love about our shows, some of you listeners, I don't want to speak for all of you, is that, you know, (laughs) they all love it. (laughs) (laughs) We we come on and we interview people that have written books and our therapists and our speakers and so on and do these amazing things. and, And then we humanize that person because they're human anyway, but we, they share, you know, their struggles. They share why they even got into this field, why fear, you know, being a fear strategist is important to you because then it takes the, you know, the insecurity away from, well, I can't ever be that person. So I'm not even going to listen to what they have to say, you know, taking um, out the comparison. Exactly. So what it tell us, that's my long way of saying, tell us your story. (laughs) (laughs) And make sure you include the jump you just did. The jump. Yeah. Remember? Oh my gosh, that's yeah. true. I actually, you never heard that before from me, did you? No. So my story, well, long time ago, I have a very eclectic background, actually. You fit right in. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For most of my life, actually, I, I never used my voice, to be quite honest. I was the youngest of three kids. I had two older brothers, and I actually did not speak until I was almost four years old because I didn't have to. Uh, My brothers, my parents, all I had to do was point and grunt and they would all run and get me whatever they thought I needed. And so I never really developed having to ask for anything. Everyone tried to protect me. And Mm -hmm. so I grew up kind of in this protection mode of a very loving family, but a very protective family. So I grew up constantly wanting to please, constantly serving others to the point of almost going to medical school because my parents thought I should. I didn't get into medical school, so I went and got my master's in molecular genetics. I like science, but I don't know if I would go back and do that, although now I'm starting to love finding all these quirky genetic diseases again. But So I went through life really serving. And when my real pivotal moment was so when I was in graduate school getting my master's, I my mother I was 21 and my mother was 53 and she died of cancer. And she really was the one person who I did speak to. So as a 21 year old, you're starting to, you know, lay your roots down. I grew up in in New York and then moved to Ohio for college and grad school. And so I was trying to make that active choice to not be so much of an introvert to start putting myself out there. And then when she died, my world kind of shut down again. 
So I really didn't have that person to go to anymore. I didn't have that person to kind of tell me what life should be like, you know, moving forward in these stages. And I obviously had to go figure it out. But I met my husband-to-be in grad school. And from there, moved to the D.C. area. We got married, raised three kids. I actually never really, and continued to serve others. You know, I was the wife, the mother, the dog walker. And now when I kind of reflect back on those years, the facade was great. Not that we didn't live well and not that I wasn't happy, but I never really put myself first. And I never asked myself, what are my passions? What do I want to do? You know, I was fortunate enough to stay at home with my kids for a while, went back for various jobs as, you know, college tuitions came into play. But I never put me first without either feeling really guilty or um, just not doing it. And so 2017 was my 53rd birthday. And actually on August 11th, 2017, my birthday, I turned in my book to the publisher because that was kind of my goal. But it was a real wake up call for me because it it just kind of put life and perspective in front of me that I was not going to stop figuring out who I was. I wasn't going to stop letting my voice be heard. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. As far as becoming into the coaching world, I um, I came from, I had a bad job and a, a bad boss. And that was also the aha moment. Like I was doing for everybody else. And then I had this, I go to work and I have this boss who, she had her own issues, but was very demeaning. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing that. So I wanted to be, be that voice for women to stand up. So as I tried to develop it, it didn't hit me though until my 53rd birthday. The kicker of it was when I turned 53, my daughter turned 21. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay. So I realized how young 53 is and I realized how young 21 was. And I said, you know, there's, there's no guarantees of anything in the world. So how can I help as many women as possible you're never too old, you're never too young to always carve time for yourself, know the power of you, know the power of yourself and and learn to navigate, you know, whatever stage of life that you're in, you have to be able to understand that self-care is so important and understand that you have to have your time without feeling selfish or guilty or whatever those words you want to use are. 
Right. And that's really, you know, I, I went originally as a life coach. And then, of course, I became resiliency coach and transformational coach. And then I got to strategist and life strategist. And um, through discussions that Christina knows, it was like this fear thing is really sticking with me. So fear strategist is is it now. And the jump is, I'm guessing, a jump out of an airplane. Tell her about the jump where you were just giving a talk at a conference and then you were up in the trees. Remember, it was only two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, yes. Share what this is. I'm thinking you jumped out of an airplane or something like that. So. It's no, not, not as high, but it's pretty close, actually. Um, so I was at a retreat uh, called Sword of New Heights and it was part there was a ropes course and um zip line and trapeze and um it was all about i i got to do three workshops uh one was a a letter to get rid of your fear and we burnt these letters before everyone went out on this course and the last final piece of the course was this trapeze it was about a 40 foot tree and i'm talking roughing it though you know you had like the pegs in the tree that you had to climb <laughs> and right. when you look up that trapeze looked really, really far away <laughs> from, <It was. laughs> from a very tiny platform that you're standing on. And uh, first I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, uh, you know what? I had a great day. I'm good. And then I thought I had to I had to do it. I had to do it for me. I had to just do it and know that I could trust myself. So I did. And I'm not one for heights at all. I am, right. I, if anything, I could say I have a fear. Of, I used to have a fear of heights. I climbed that tree and um, after hugging the tree for a few seconds that before turning around to jump and they said, you know, just let go and jump. Of course you're harnessed, but I did. I let go and I jumped and I caught the trapeze, thank goodness. And, uh, <laughs> It was just, a, it was a great exercise for me to know that I can trust myself. Mm. And you can feel the fear and do it anyway, because at no point when you described, and I wasn't there, but you described it to me. And at no point did you think, hey, this is awesome. This is fun. I can't wait. Yeah, hook me up. Let me do it again. You were uncomfortable and afraid. I was and totally was uncomfortable. And there was yeah. this challenge and you did it. You let go and jumped. I did. You're right. Yeah. I, I was totally uncomfortable and I wasn't the first to go. I wasn't the last, but I was totally uncomfortable. I am not one to climb trees. I never was <laughs> ever. And uh, it was pretty high up there. And yeah. even when I got near the top and you had to like get your legs up and around and onto this platform, I'm thinking now I can't get down either. So <laughs> I have to get on the platform. So, um, yeah, there was no point that I was like, this is awesome. I'm, I can't wait to let go. No, I was totally scared. Totally scared, to be perfectly honest. Have I worn my Depends today? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I was about, I don't know, I want to say maybe 12, I was at overnight camp, which I loved going to every year. And it, of course, it was at a lake and you did swimming and they had a high dive, which in my mind is about as high as the tree. Now, I know, Robin, that that's not true. Your tree was higher than my high dive. But nonetheless, you know, it was this nemesis for me. And I remember climbing up, up, up. The ladder never ended. And then I finally got out and I walked to the end 
of the high dive. And I decided, oh, crap, I'm not going to do this. Like, I would be insane. I'm going to clearly break limbs when I <laughs> jump into the water below me. This is not happening. Except I turned around and I was afraid even to be standing on top of the high dive. And I desperately wanted to go back. But there was an entire line of people on every rung of the ladder. Like, there was no way for me to get off because it was full. There was this complete line of people. So it was either, well, I can sit here all day long (laughs) until they get tired and decide to go home, or (laughs) I can jump and talk about feeling sort of social pressure and what do I do and comparison. Like this was back when I was definitely not my own best friend and really, really struggling with, you know, what do I what am I going to do? Because I can't go forward and I can't go back. So all Mm. I am is stuck. And, you know, am I now going to live out the rest of my life from 12 years on forever uh, on the top of a high dive, feeling terrified and unable to move? And I I know that that sounds silly to say now, but at 12, that really felt like a real experience. Yeah, Yeah, it it was a real experience. It was. It was. Ultimately, you know, what did I do? So ultimately, it it was just one of those. I didn't have a choice. People started yelling, come on, hurry up, let's go. And then someone, and it's a really good thing, I don't remember who, someone got on the end, the other end of the diving board and started jumping up and down. So now I'm like, you know, shaking a bazillion feet above me. I would be the the person I kick and take down with me. That's how I was. (laughs) If I could have, if that had even crossed, if I wasn't frozen with fear in that moment, uh, that might've crossed my mind, but no. So uh, literally it was one of those, well, And it was sort of, I guess I'm mentioning this because, as I said, this was when I wasn't my own best friend. And so Mm -hmm. I think that it was negative self-talk that got Mm -hmm. me to go over. And so I didn't feel good about it. So for me, it wasn't an accomplishment. I just, I, I remember beating myself up in my head and saying, like, you're awful and this is terrible and you're being a coward and a baby and blah, 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 all of this crap. And then ultimately whatever, just go. And I jumped and I hated the feeling of falling. I just don't like Mm. that at all. Hit the water, got out and continued to shake and beat myself up. Now, today I look back on that with so much compassion, right? Because the answer was not to beat myself up to get off, but to say, just like you're talking about, Robin, how do we manage that fear? How do we say, I get it. I am so afraid. This is so uncomfortable. And yet I'm going to have to make a decision. So knowing that I'm afraid, I'm not going to give myself a hard time for being afraid. I'm going to let myself be afraid and I've got to go. So off I jump. Hmm. You know, you bring up an interesting point, Christina, because Someone on the course, one woman who was a little heavier set, she was, and a little bit older, she was saying, you know, I've been, I'm not scared, I'm not fearful, um, it's just my body won't be able to do it. And all of us were like, we we know you are fearful, it's okay. Like, mm-hmm. it, you can say you are. Um, your body will be fine. I mean, there is lots of different body types up there, you know. I mean, that had nothing to do with it. It was just doing doing it and and being able to just say let go of the fear and and jump and um it was interesting because it wasn't until the very very end of the last day could she finally say the word fear ah interesting oh that's exciting yeah yeah and then what happened for her 
Yeah. Well, the very end of the trapeze, just to tell you, they wanted us to put our legs over our knees and lock our knees so you could hang backwards and then let go. And then they would let us like free fall down. That was weird. I did it. That was, we compromised on don't let me like literally don't tug the rope, you know, don't let me fall, fall. And then you're going to pull me up. Like, no, thanks. (laughs) A gentle landing would be great. (laughs) Right. So Robin, can you speak for us to the whole idea of connecting, uh, working with your fear and the power of self and a little bit more maybe about both the choices that we make and how we go about making those choices? Sure. You know, the power of self, I really look at at, at self, you know, when we talk about self-care and self confidence and self-love and and self-doubt. And I I deal a lot on the self-doubt issue, right? Um, Which has has to do with, you know, the negative talk and feeling helplessness and wanting to hide or hesitate and all of that. So it's really, how do you start talking to yourself nicely, being your own best friend, as you would say, How do you start recognizing and learning those triggers that set you back? So I think it's a lot of awareness. It's a lot of um, setting a good routine and mindset that you start becoming more aware of yourself. And that's kind of my why I'm such a proponent of alone time being a time of solitude for you and growth. I believe like Every day you you have to build in that alone time just so you get to know who you are and what you want, not not the laundry list for everybody else in your life, just you, because it's really important. So until you really have a chance to understand who you are, it took me 53 years to figure that out, by the way. But until you understand who you are, what your desires are and what you want and need from life. At that point, you can really start then understanding what those fears are, what those triggers are, and how you're going to move through it. And, you know, what kind of strategies and tools you're going to use to press the reset button. What do you think you might say to someone who says, I'm afraid to get to know myself because I think that I'm going to find out I'm even worse than I think I am? I would say, why how would you feel if you didn't get to know who you were, to be honest? I mean, I have people that say, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know who I am. And I'm like, then try anything. You know, even if it's, even if you are so busy raising a young family and a full-time job, like once a week, once a month, find time just to try different things for you. And if that means you need to get a sitter or or find someone to take care of the kids or bring in dinner or, or whatever, however you have to make it work. Like it's so incredible because incredibly important. And I'll tell you why. I think the longer you wait to find out who you are, and I, I can talk from my personal experience. I think the longer you wait, you continue to bury yourself. And I think you become more resentful. And I think there is some point that it's going to tip it in your life and you are going to want to know who you are but depending on how long it's taking you to figure that out you 
might want to go figure out who you are all by yourself as well. So there's something about the pain of my present experience gets to such a place where I say, I've got to do something different. And it's in the doing something different that you take your first step to using fear in a different way. I think it's, it's yes, I, I agree. I, I think it's that awareness to say, I need to understand myself. I, I want to know who I am, you know, and it's not everything at once. It's not, it's not like you're going to make this list of all your fears and, and, you know, I'm going to go day by day and check one off. Right. I mean, I knew I didn't like heights, but it wasn't like, I'm so scared of heights. I'm, I'm not even going to this course. It was just, okay, I'm here. And I had to do something for me. It just all happened to work out that way. But I think you just have to be able to say, if you know what that fear is, I think you do have to, try and figure out why you have that fear. Absolutely. I really do. I think if you have something that is totally blocking you, you have to figure out what, why, how, what, why, and when. So along those lines, can you share a couple of the tools or strategies that you recommend to people to begin using fear to help them move forward? Sure. I think a morning routine is so important. To be honest, I, I work with people and I, I say, just start with five minutes in the morning. And of course, people are like, you know, I get up at 530. I'm like 525 then. Honestly, just to set your intentions for the day, you know, kind of on the principle of what are your intentions for the day? What is important for you to happen that day and what matters to you? Like if you can just sit with that. You know, some people like to journal, some people like to exercise, some people want to sit with a cup of coffee. However you want to do it, just start finding out what's important to you. I also tell people, you know, for the person that's like nothing good is going on right now, I love to give people this like a, a week challenge of video your day. Every time you get back in the car, take a quick video to yourself of what happened in that moment. Was it let's say you went out for, for lunch. So the morning in the office or whatever your morning was like, do a quick video and see if you can find something good from, from that, those morning hours. So it's kind of always trying to find the fantastic in something, the positive in something. Cause sometimes, that. you know, yeah. sometimes, sometimes just getting out of bed is, is a good win for people. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And it really depends on what's going on. You know, I talk about a similar thing when I talk about experiencing gratitude, but really feeling the feeling of gratitude. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of times, and and Kristen, I know you've talked with lots of different people about this, but there's a lot of times where people have a hard time accessing even something to feel grateful for, or they access it, but they do it in this more list-making way. You know, yeah, I'm grateful for my health, my job, my house, blah, 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 which there's no <laughs> gratitude in that. And so the one of the tips that I share with people is to, and it comes from the research in positive psychology, is using awe 
A-W-E, or appreciation of nature as a way to sort of backdoor yourself into gratitude. So if you can't come up with something that you're feeling grateful for or that you think is fantastic or you're willing to celebrate as a win, then maybe what you can do instead is either see something in nature or the research says you can just look at a beautiful picture and experience the feeling of awe and appreciation Mm. for nature. And that begins practicing that can move you to being able to then be grateful, which can then move you exactly along, as you're saying, to finding something fantastic in your day. Yeah, I'll tell you a great exercise to do. Um, And I've I've done it and I've taken groups to do it, even just to change your, your scenery and get up and go for a walk. Take out your phone and just take try to take three pictures. Mm. And you'll be surprised what people take pictures of, but people will find like the bark of a tree interesting or um, a water fountain. But it, when you look at the pictures they find, there's something in those pictures that just centers them and grounds them. And it's like, there you go. You start, you start feeling gratitude. You know, you see things and it's like, my life, I'm okay. Absolutely. And by the way, I watched a video last night, some random thing that came up. But this is a great tip if you don't know this. If you want to take great pictures with your phone, this person gave so many examples of getting down to the level of the subject. So whether it's a baby on a blanket, but also was taking pictures of trees and flowers and things like that. And instead of taking it from standing adult height, getting down to the ground and taking a picture from there, and it really lets you zoom in on different aspects of what it is that you're seeing, particularly with nature. And that just blew me away. I thought, wow, right? We can shift perspective in Mm -hmm. so many different ways, even to the point of shifting the perspective in just snapping that picture on our phone. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit, and there's not um, enough time to talk about this, so you'll have to come on again. But the, the, the name of the book, Alone But Not Lonely, you're not talking about in any way whether someone is partnered or not. This is across the board, whether someone's in a relationship with a significant other or not, correct? Correct. This is totally across the board. So Alone But Not Lonely is um, part of it is my journey of my story growing up, not finding my voice, you know, losing my mom, finding my voice, my aha moment. So that's kind of part one of the book. Loneliness from the sense of isolation, depression, that side, moving it towards alone, but not lonely, that alone time is so important and it shouldn't be lonely time. It should be really your time of growth and solitude and and almost like mentoring yourself, really. You know, to as we were talking, to learn about yourself, to find, to be aware, to grow, to find out who you are and what you like and what you don't like and what's important to you. Because, you know, in the in the end of it all, is that nobody can validate you. Only you can do that. Right. You know, no one can give you permission to be happy. No one can give you permission to do anything. give you kudos, unless you believe in it, you know, unless you truly believe in what you're doing, no one's going to either praise it or, or deny it. So you have to truly 
know what you want and who you are and, and then go for it. And then be able to stand true to yourself when you have people try and take that away from you. And I think that's something that that's when the doubt comes in and those triggers happen. And so as you learn those triggers of the negative talk and not being your own best friend, you know, how to get yourself out of that faster and faster. So that whole journey of the book is alone from isolation to using alone time to be powerful, a powerful time of solitude. And along in within the book are my strategies, my morning routine, strategies and tools for morning and evening rituals, and then stories about relationships and about families and all kinds of different conversations about parenting. Um, what I did was I threw out to about 100 people, what does alone but not lonely mean to you? And so some of those stories are in, in the third part of the book. Yeah, the, the alone but not lonely. I'm alone right now um, for the first time in my life, and I love it. I can't even imagine feeling lonely. I have felt more lonely in relationships than I do now. I'm loving it. Like that doesn't even, I don't, I, I could live another hundred years and not be lonely. So I really relate to that piece. But what's fascinating to me as I, live this way where I'm alone, yay, and my space that I'm alone in is fiercely protected by me, which is fantastic. I'm fascinated by how many people absolutely believe that their worth, their value, their uh, validation is supposed to come from other people and mm -hmm. how resentful they are when they perceive that they're not getting, you know, that validation and how sad it really is to be someone that doesn't ever develop your own sense of yourself, that you don't ever get to know who you are, good, bad, ugly, whatever, that you don't even, you just stop. There's this arrested development um, and you place it in the hands, you give away all your power and you place all that in the hands of your partner, your friends, your children, whatever, and you're completely cutting yourself off at the knees because you're never going to be, you're never really going to be happy when you give all that power away, you know, to other people. It doesn't work like that. And there are so many people, even our society trains us to think, oh, well, when you get married, you know, then you'll be happy and your your spouse or your partner is supposed to fulfill, you know, all your needs. And that's such a disservice. Um, it's such a disservice that that still, you know, gets perpetuated or that we live through our children or what have you, you know, that that piece really fascinates me because I do know a lot of people that really sit in so much pain and anger and what you had talked about, you know, resentment because they're so completely unhappy and yet the reason they're unhappy is because they don't do the work it takes to develop a sense of themselves. You know, totally Kristen, 
just want to throw in, we've been saying, I think on every episode, right, that saying, there's only one person in charge of your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, and that's you, right? Yeah. And that there's this idea of giving over power to someone else, which is very actually a misnomer and a myth because you're stopping your own empowerment, but literally no one else can have that power. So we even right. think that, you know, so I want to take that even one step further and say that someone else has not actually got control over that, but you think that they do yes. and then resent the fact that they're not getting it. And so you're sort of creating a double bind for yourself because it's yeah. still only up to you. Absolutely. And Robin, I think that's what you're saying as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Um, yeah. And no one's going to give it to you. You, you have to, you have to take it. I mean, you have to know who you are. You have to be the one to say, this is what I want. And sometimes people wait very long. I mean, honestly, I guess 53, I didn't realize that until I really kind of sat and looked looked at me and my life. And I think it really was my wake up call with my having my mom die at that age to be like, oh, hold on a second. You know, there's this mortality kind of in front of me uh, to realize like, you don't know what life's going to bring. 53 is pretty young. Like I'd like to stick yes, around. So um, what am I going to do with my life? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And there's never there. That is the most important journey that you will ever take the journey to you. <laughs> That's it Absolutely. right there. It's, there you it's, go. <laughs> it's full of fear and wonderful things too. Uh, well, fear can be wonderful as well, but that's your most important journey. And I'm that I wake up with gratitude about, you know, no matter what I may be saying to myself uh, that, you know, cause I'm good Lord, do I have a long way to go? Um, like everybody, but whatever I may be saying to myself negatively that I'm trying to work on, I'm, that's the most profound gratitude I have is thank God somewhere in my family of origin who just did not want to take this journey or felt that they couldn't or what have you. A few of us broke out of that generational pattern to just have the audacity to want to know who we are as an individual and pass that on to our kids. And so maybe we can break, you know, some of these patterns that have gone on forever within my family of origin. And I think that's mm -hmm. true for a lot of people. Well, I was just going to say, and just that you've made this active choice to move through that. Right. Mm -hmm. Which goes into the whole thing of strategizing through fear, you know? Yep. Absolutely. I was just going to say, Kristen, that uh, you make such a good point. At, this is Mental Health Awareness Week that we're in yeah. right now as we're recording. And I know you posted through the, or someone posted through the Mental Health News Radio Network today that mental health is just as important as physical health. And yes. that's so true. And to my mind, mental health is about health and wellness. Yes. And that that's what we're, when we talk about owning our own feelings, knowing ourselves, as Robin's saying, giving ourselves the gift of enjoying being alone and benefiting from that, which does not mean never being in company with anyone else, but appreciating who you are, knowing who you are, letting that expand and really be awesome. That's when we're truly moving into mental health 
Not that we're going to be without things that go wrong and blow up in our face, but that we have, right, we have a framework and a pattern to be able to manage that and to say, right, like, that's what I'm doing is I'm continuing to use the skills and the tools. And as Robin said, the strategies right. to address fear and keep knowing myself and being compassionate to myself and to others so that I can live this life of being awesome knowing that crap happens. It sure makes you a much kinder person to other people, less judgmental, more forgiving when you start on this journey towards forgiving yourself. <laughs> yes, right. That's it. That's my big talk. That's the thing where I'm in the process. I think I told you, Robin and I are both applying to a variety of different TEDx talks, but my talk is all about the link between self-compassion and accepting help from others and being able to be truly compassionate to someone else right. and, and judgment. And that if we can't actually let go of judgment towards ourselves, then we can't be as compassionate to others as we want. So, so it is about self-compassion and self-forgiveness. And as Robin's saying, sort of becoming aware of and allowing and embracing your fear to work to your benefit going forward. Hmm. Well, I want to make sure our listeners know if you want to purchase Robin's book. You can get it on Amazon. I've, I'm looking at it right now. It's right there and many other places that you can grab it, but it's Robin Joy Myers, M-E-Y-E-R-S, Alone But Not Lonely, Reclaim Your Identity and Be Unapologetically You. Love that title. Um, Robin, are, is there a website also that people could go to to find out more about you? Absolutely. It's um, www.robinmyers.life. Ah, Fantastic. I love that. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I thank you for your time and I loved it. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Robin, it's always so awesome to have you around. How was that <laughs> number 12? Awesome. <laughs> I think so. It's awesome. To, I'll make it 13. Awesome to be with you both. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you, Christina, as usual for our wonderful series called Be Awesome. Fantastic. I can't wait till the next time. Me too. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another edition of Mental Health News Radio. I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.